I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A one, a two, a one, two, three, four. <laughs> Another beautiful day on the Victor Bravo Golf Course. The sun is shining, the birds are about, and there's a sudden pause in the crowd. Michael Michelson steps up to the tee box. 15th hole here, drivers recommended. <laughs> oh, is he a caveman? Because it's suddenly clubbed that one. What do you reckon, George? <laughs> I mean, did he hit that with the dictionary? Because that was a terrible read. <laughs> G'day and welcome to Golf the Podcast. Andrew Daddo is my name, professional golfing enthusiast, and I am wildly excited about today's guest because he has provided me with one of the single greatest golfing experiences of my life. His name is Paul Stevens. He is a caddy. You may know him as the singing caddy. He was on the um, the golf show that we used to do on, on Fox Sports. And uh, on this one particular day, we were talking about some of his stories, and then the idea was that Paul would... Um, that he would caddy for me. So obviously he knows nothing about my golf game. He knows nothing about the distances. So he said, look, it's about 135. What do you hit? And I said, I hit an eight iron. So he said, all right, no worries. Okay. Now I'm going to, I'm not going to do his accent correctly, but he basically said something like, um, it was words to the effect of, okay, great. 135. You've got your eight iron, uh, nice and easy. Just swing it a good swing, just one good swing. Let's just see one good swing. And I swear to God, it was like I'd been hypnotized. And I put the best swing on the shot I think I've ever, and it went to about three feet anyways. It just said, nice one. And I just went, it literally was like I'd been hypnotized. So if if nothing else, Paul, to have you on the podcast to say thank you is is enough it's a pleasure to have you Paul welcome. Oh, you're more than welcome Andrew I really enjoyed the day really enjoyed meeting you I enjoyed your golf I thought you were a mean golfer and uh, you did exactly as I told you um, I taught you out of one club into hitting my club which has always been my forte as we'll probably talk about and uh, you hit a great shot put a great swing on it and I read the putts and you hold the putt. Yeah. So with, with that notion of, I mean, I, I, um, I did feel somewhat hypnotised and calmed. Is is that, and we'll talk about your um, your caddying experiences because you've literally you've literally caddied for everybody, like all of the biggest names in golf. You've 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 pretty, lived them pretty much, Andrew. Yeah. So is the role of the caddy first of all to somehow hypnotize or relax the golfer to 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 get their very best not hypnotize but certainly relax certainly relax and you do that by being affirmative assertive confident uh, knowledgeable um things like that you know that's that's the things that you put into four you got you get your golfer to believe in you yeah and what you say and that's where the teamship camaraderie comes in and teamsmanship comes in and that's when you work together as a team. Okay, but there was something about your tone that <laughs> that was so calming. So is there is is it a, is there a tone thing to it as well? Well, no, that- you want you want to keep the golfer calm. You don't want it to get uh, overexcited. Uh, there there'll be enough of that, especially on the back nine on on the last day yeah. coming down the stretch where adrenaline kicks in and that's a big thing that the caddy's got to take into 
into four, in, in, into mine, the, the adrenaline is massive. And so the last thing you want to do is get the golfer overexcited, keep him calm, keep him in control of his senses and keep believing in you, the caddy. Yeah, okay. That's what you want. All right. So look, your biggest, I mean, you've, you know, you've, you've rider cupped it. Mm. So, I mean, what's that like? Let's, let's go through. Give, okay. us your, give us your list of names to start off with. Like, give us your, your highlight list of names. Well, that, that would be the, the highlight of my career. Um, I, I, was, I was quite lucky. I, I started caddying at the age of 12 at uh, my local golf club for four shillings a round. And, and what uh, was that club? That was Rochdale Golf Club in Lancashire. Okay. And uh, then I realised that uh, if I wanted to be the best caddy in the world, I'd have to learn proper caddying, links caddying on Lynx golf courses because I'm a big believer in Lynx golf, the true form of golf. So I used to go over 45 miles to Southport and to the jewel in the crown, Royal Birkdale. Yeah. And I started club caddying there. Now caddying then was what I call proper caddying. Uh, without sounding bitter, and I'm not bitter in any way with all the caddy millionaires, and there are many, many of them now that are millionaires, but... Um, Caddying was different. I called it proper caddying in those because we didn't have yardage books. Yardage books hadn't been invented. Right. We used what we call our eyeballing. We just eyeballed it. Right. That's, you know, we sniffed the wind, the coldness of the wind, listened to the wind, and used our own common sense. And to me, regardless of what the modern-day caddy will tell you about it being rocket science, to me, it's always been common sense, saying the right thing at the right time. Yeah. And that is crucial. The Americans used to come over to Birkdale and uh, they would hold out the hand and say, what is it? And you have to take the club out of the bag, put it into the hand and tell them how to hit it. And that's what you did. So that was the Americans. What about the, the English people that you'd caddy for or the Scottish? Or the, were they well, different? Yeah, not really. Um, when I came on tour, you know, it was uh, th- these were um, American amateurs, if you like. These okay. were amateur golfers that yeah. came to play Birkdale, and this is what you had to do. All I used to do was say, "Look, tell me how far do you hit a five iron?" And they'd tell me how far they hit a five iron. I said, "Give me a rough idea of how far you hit your driver." So then I could I could work out what holes they couldn't take driver on because of the pot bunkers, which are strewn all over Birkdale where they'd have to club down, and also I could club them based on the, the distance that they hit the five iron and hope that they knew how far they, they hit those clubs. So um, I was fortunate because I, when I came on tour in 1972, that was the start of the European tour that, that actual year. And uh, I, um, I fell in love with the game. My first Open was uh, 1972, and uh, my... Best friend. Who, who was your player? Sorry. Who were you caddying for? I caddied for John Lister yeah. from New Zealand. Right. He, he missed the cut. My best friend was caddying for Peter Thompson. Wow. The Peter Thompson. Yes, of course. And uh, having missed the cut, I didn't want to depart the scene. I wanted to be around it and soak it up. And uh, I asked to carry a board, a scoreboard for the game involving Jack Nicholas. And Peter Thompson. Wow. With my friend caddying for Peter Thompson. Yeah. And I walked around with them and I was hooked. And uh, saw Nicholas make one of his last round charges, as he frequently did. And uh, then... And so so what was that like up close? You know, like you're, you're wanting to learn the game. Yes. You wanted to learn the game as a caddy. So yeah. when you watch Nicholas, what what did you learn? Did you... Well, I was in awe. Yeah, of like course. most people. <laughs> well, and, 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 what, and what is it like being up close to, to him at, at the height of his powers? It's amazing. I mean, the, the British hadn't seen people hit a golf ball like Jack Nicholas for ages. They hadn't heard that sound from the club. They hadn't seen long irons soar into the stratosphere. Like Jack hit them. I mean, Jack was a superb long iron player, one iron especially, superb, one of one of the finest ever. So I mean, to hear that thud of the club into the links turf, you know, was was mind blowing. And to see Jack in all his glory make a last round charge was fantastic. And then, as I say, I was hooked, and I decided to go on the continent. Uh, a guy called Ronnie Aspinall from Bir- from uh, Birkenhead. And I got in my little car and we drove through France and uh, to Switzerland, 
to Germany. Graham Marsh won back-to-back tournaments, Swiss and uh, German. And then the next... Not with you, with you? No, no, no. The next two tournaments were won by Jack Newton. Right. Back-to-back, who became very good friends of mine. But I caddied for uh, a guy... I caddied for the longest holder of the Open Championship. Now, do you know why that would be? Oh, I'm thinking the war. Correct and right. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely, Andrew. The Second World War. Yeah, right. And I caddied for a guy called Dick Burton. Yeah. Richard Burton from Sale Golf Club. And he was lovely. He was an elderly gentleman. And straight away he said, Paul, you're too good for me. I said, don't be silly. Now, now how old are you at this point? I was, um, gosh, I wasn't that young. I was 31. Okay. Just bef- before we get to, to, yeah. to this... Your first open, when yep. you so, yeah. How nervous was your golfer, and how nervous were you? Well, he wouldn't have been nervous. I was nervous. Right, my first open. Yeah, on a superb links course called Muirfield. Yeah, superb. Second only to Birkdale, right. in my opinion, on our roster. <coughs> Excuse me. He was. Um, he wasn't nervous. He didn't play very well, and he did a lot of whining and whinging. But um, <laughs> as they do when they miss the cut. Yeah. How much of it was your fault? Oh. According to him. They try and say that, don't they? they like, it's, always, it's always the caddy's fault, Andrew, isn't it? You know that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we set off onto the continent and Switzerland, Crown with uh, Richard Burton, Dick Burton, said, you're too good for me. Who would you like to caddy for? I said, well, that's very nice. I said, but I don't mind. I've agreed to caddy for you and that's fine. He said, no, you need a better player. I said, I'd love to caddy for Tony Jacqueline. I idolised Tony at that time. Tony was hot, hot player, and he was our great white hope, mm. you know, at that time. Mm. When he came back the next day, he said, Paul, I'm sorry I couldn't get Tony because he was fixed up, but I've done the next best thing. I've got his best friend, the defending champion, Peter Townsend. Jesus. And that was great. And I got on famous with Peter. Yeah. Peter was great, taught me a lot, and got on great with him and uh, caddied for him right up to the Dutch Open. He had his own caddy back in the UK. And uh, then I, I just started carrying for Warren Humphreys after that, you know, that had played against uh, Watkins uh, in the uh, Walker Cup. Him and Roddy Carr beat Watkins and Kites, I think. And uh, then I was I was into it. 73 was a big year for, because Peter Townsend very kindly recommended me, recommended me to a Ryder Cup player, mm. a previous Ryder Cup player called Peter Butler from Harborne in Birmingham. He recommended me to Peter and said, this guy's very good, he'll do, do you good. And he told me, he said, look, Paul, he's a good player. He's a good pro-am player, takes pro-am seriously, helps his partners, you know, thinks about the money. He's very fair, and uh, you get on great with him. So I went with Peter, and we, we had a, I had a meteoric rise, really. We, we, we won the Texaco, we finished second in the Martini to Bembridge. Uh, we finished sixth in the Open Championship at Troon, which was won by Weisskopf, mm. and that more or less cemented our position in the Ryder Cup team. Right. Which was brilliant. I mean, my first year. So uh, I turned up at Muirfield, and we weren't in the original batting lineup. Our opening batsmen, if you like, were a, a very formidable duo called Brian Barnes and Bernard Gallagher, who used to take on Trevino, Casper, Chi Chi, Lou Graham, and beat them. Right. And they did great. But I turned up the second day thinking we'd be practicing again. And they said, Paul, get ready, you're in the team. I said, what are you talking about? We're practicing. I said, no. Gallagher got food poisoning in North Berwick, and you're in the team, you're playing with Barnsley. Wow. Said, wow. So got my gear on, got my uh, boiler suit on, I think we had at the time. Got ready, I was on the range, hitting balls with Butty, Peter Butler. And Barnsley was a great guy, I love Barnsley. Great character, great player, great driver of the ball. And... Uh, Barnsley sidled looked to me said, uh, morning, Paul. I said, hi, Brian. <laughs> he said, how are you feeling? I said, great. He said, are you nervous? And lying through my back teeth, I said, no, not at all. Right. Everybody is nervous in the Ryder Cup. Yeah. So much so that some of the caddies couldn't speak. The mouth was that dry. When they tried to ride it down, they couldn't write because the hand was shaking that mm. much. That was it particularly happened to David Guilford's caddy. So if the caddies are feeling that way, how are the golfers <laughs> feeling? Exactly the same. Yeah. Exactly the same. No and matter what they say, yeah. they will be absolutely nervous, really petrified. And it's uh, obviously it's your job to help them. Yeah, um, calm them down and tell them that they're the best. And, 
you know, we can win this game and we can do this and, you know, tell them whatever you tell them to make them believe in you. Okay, so who are you playing against? Well, this is it because uh, Barnsley came to, to me and said, how, how are you feeling? I said, nervous. I said, no, not at all. He said, uh, how's Peter? How's Peter? I said, great. He said, how's he hitting it? I said, he's hitting it great, Brian. He said, is he nervous? I said, no, not at all. He said, good. Tell him he's hitting off first in the foursomes because I'm crapping myself. <laughs> True story. Yeah. Well, we got lucky, though. We drew two hackers yeah. in the foursomes called Nicholas and Weisskopf. Jesus. I mean, I'm not going to go on about Nicholas. I'll talk about Jack later because there's so much been said about the greatest modern-day golfer. But of those people that didn't see Tom Weisskopf, they missed a treat. Right. There was a fantastic golfer. Built like a one-iron. Hit a great one-iron. One of the best one-iron players. A superb golfer in every respect. Nicholas thought the world, Ohio boy, same as Jack. Jack always says, it's your year, Tom. And uh, consequently, after 15 holes, we were three down. Right. Playing that wonderful par three, the 16th at Muirfield. The one where Ernie else got up and down out of the left-hand bunker, which was the massive revetted face, about 10 feet in the air, and played one of the greatest bunker shots ever, which got him into the playoff and cemented his first open victory. Yeah. And um, we... Um, They'd hit it onto the green first, of course, because they were three up. And we got on the tee. Now, you've got to remember, this is the time of the proper golf ball, not what I call the illegal golf ball of today. So the smaller ball? The no, beef- no, not the small ball. Still the big ball, but a balata ball. Oh, okay, yeah, right. Not the, not the hardcore, hard inserts ball, the, the one that bores through the wind and still spins back yeah. like today. You know, it's totally... Uh, it's not conducive to the game of golf, the, the ball going 450 yards. Not in my book anyway. Yeah. All the finesse has gone out of golf. The, the great finesse players are no longer there. It's all about power now. Yeah. All, all that matters is power. And uh, so uh, it's the Balata ball. And so Peter said, how far, Paul? I said, 187. He said, four iron. I said, no. I've never been backward in coming forward. No. He said, why not? I said, quite a few things, actually, Peter. I said, it's still early morning. The air's still cold, so the ball's not flying. The ball doesn't fly in the cold weather. Second thing is, I said, this hole plays slightly uphill. Now, nowadays, all the caddies get all this information supplied. They get everything supplied. The line, the land, the fall on the land. We didn't. But I'd worked out that this hole plays slightly uphill. I said, another thing, it's into the draft. It's into the breeze. And the final thing, Peter, <laughs> we're three down with three to play. Hit the three, give it a chance. Right. He took on board everything I'd said. He got the three. He, I gave him the three. He put the greatest swing he's ever put on a three iron. The ball soared into the stratosphere. And the next minute, all hell broke loose up at the green. The ball disappeared into the cup. <laughs> for the very first hole-in-one in Ryder Cup history. Wow. And if you don't think I'm not proud about that, Andrew, <laughs> you're not a good judge right. of character. Did but the nicest thing about it, Andrew, yeah. the nicest thing about that, after the first hole-in-one in Ryder Cup history, was walking to the next tee, and Jack Nicklaus, who'd listened to all my entreaties, mm. my reasonings, turned to me and said, great caddying, Paul. Right. Now, that was worth more than money in the bank to me. Was more worth more than the case of champagne that Peter gave me, you know, for my efforts for, yeah. on that hole, which I shared with both teams' caddies because the American caddies never travelled, and the the British and you know, English, Irish, Scottish caddies caddied for both sides. Okay, so I split the champagne with. They were, they were all my all my guys. So realistically, there was some chance that you could have picked up Nicholas or Watson or Wisecott. As their caddy. I mean, I know you yes. caddies. Like, you're the list yes, of... Yes, definitely. Yeah. And I'm very unlucky, really, very unlucky, because um, I used to write letters beforehand, you know, if, uh, if, if I fancied a certain player. And um, after I'd won the Order of Merit with the Peter Rooster House in 74, uh, we won by a country mile, and we had eight seconds that year, including the Open Championship at Lytham. And I was going to write to this guy that I kept seeing figuring in America... A lot of people say he was a choker. I said, this guy's not a choker. This guy's getting in contention. And his name was Tom Watson. I thought, I'm going to write to him. Because my family name 
is Watson. Right. My real family name is Watson. So I thought I'll write to him. But I didn't. I jumped on the Oriana and sang my way to Australia to further my singing career because I'd sung with an Australian recording group and they said, Paul, get yourself out. The scene in Sydney is massive. And uh, so I didn't. And uh, consequently, Tom turned up without a caddy and Alfie Files from Southport picked him up and won five opens with him. <laughs> yeah. You idiots. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I, another of my brilliant so decisions. Is it, yeah, is it so... I mean, uh, do you... Well... Are you disappointed that you made that decision or is it that's just the flotsam and jetsam of life? It is. Yeah. It is absolutely that. I am disappointed. But at that time, I'd still believed in my singing career. You know, I'd made records and done radio and TV and I still had aspirations to be a, a headline singer, which I did become, um, you know, cabaret artist and TV in Australia, lots of TV in Australia. And so... Uh, it's, it's something I did at the time. I regretted it afterwards, but yeah. as you say, you can't you can't dwell on things like that. And I well, you don't up, know. You could no. have been a better better recording artist than you would have been a, than you could have been there a caddy. So that's absolutely there. You go. All right. So is this before or after you've had the likes of Sam Snead? Oh no, this and, was before. This was really early doors. Right. This was early doors. That that only started when I came to Australia and lived in Manly. Yeah. Always lived on northern beaches yeah. because that's where the group. That's that where I all the pommies are. Mate, there's yeah. hundreds of them. Yeah. Thousands of them. That's right. <laughs> they know the place to stay under. They know the place to come. So I, um, I couldn't work. I wasn't allowed to work. I couldn't understand this for six months when I got here. And I'd burn my bridges. And I don't know why. I wasn't allowed to sing. So uh, I went to Long Reef Golf Club where I later became a member. And I know you're a member. Mm. I loved it there. And so a good friend of mine, Jack Newton, was doing a clinic. And Jack said, how are you doing, Paul? I said, I'm struggling, Jack. I said, I've no work. And he said, right, next week you're working for me. I said, really? He said, yeah, we're in the New South Wales foursomes at Young in New South Wales. And our partner is Kel Nagel. Now, I'd met Kel in 1972 yep. because he'd asked me to shag balls for him in, in between rounds. You know, Blondie's caddy hadn't turned up. And he just said, can I hit some three woods at you? you know, and I said, of course you can. And uh, so I'd met Kellen. So just, just sorry, just to be clear. Yes. So that means he's going to hit three woods. You're out there in the with the shag bag, with the shag, the and you and pick him up, pick it and put them in the bag exactly. while he hits him. At yeah, you. yeah. And lovely gentleman, Kel, absolute gentleman of a guy. Mm. And we played in the New South Wales foursomes at uh, Young in New South Wales. And then later, I came. I went to the New South Wales Open. Was being played at Manly Golf Club, where I'm speaking tonight. Yeah. And looking forward to it immensely. And I turned up there, hoping to get a, a caddy job. But over in Australia, it was more like the friends and family tour, where friends and family caddied for the players. There weren't a lot of caddies in Australia, half a dozen at the most. You know, Cabbage, Snowy, Fireman, you know, the, the, the very, very, very few caddies. So yeah. I really had carte blanche. So I said to Jack, Jack, anybody looking for a caddy? He said, well... Not really, but you might want to ask that guy over there. I think he might uh, want a caddy. And his name was Bill Brask Jr. And I went and asked Bill, and he said, perfect. And got on famous with him. And uh, Bill couldn't finish outside the top five. Uh, we had some great runs together. Can I ask a, uh, I hope a rude question? But yeah. Like, so how did, the, how did it work financially then? Was it Were you uh, in a, on a percentage of the prize yeah. money? Yeah. yeah. So the same as now? That's always, yeah. Right. Yeah, always. Uh, okay. A basic salary and then a percentage of the prize money okay. on what you made. I just want to have a quick run through the names, yeah. your okay. your bags. Sam Sneed, Arnold Palmer, Seve, Ben Crenshaw, Hale Irwin, Tom Watson, Greg Norman, Nick Faldo, Sergio Garcia, mm. Rory McElroy. Mm. So you've it's a good list, eh? <laughs> it's a good list. Yeah. Where did it all go wrong? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who... Um, who who, who impressed? I mean, I know you've talked about Nicholas, but you didn't actually. You never got onto Nicholas's bag. Who no. impressed you the most? I got letters off him when I wrote to him. You know, he'd already been fixed up. But the the thing with Jack is, nobody actually caddied for Jack. Okay. Jack never had a caddy. He had a bag carrier. Yeah. Okay. He never had a golf caddy. Never. So what about? I'm sort of thinking about Norman. That Norman. Greg, Greg was great. Was, was, was he the same? Was did did you caddy for? Yeah. Did you carry his bag or did no, you I caddied? Yeah. Right. Everything for Greg. 
Greg was great. Greg was a hell of a player. Hell of a player. I think Australia's finest ambassador. Absolutely dynamite player. The greatest, longest, straightest driver of a golf ball, particularly with the Bellata ball mm. and a persimmon wood and steel shafts. There's nobody, nobody could touch Greg. And the sad thing was, his advantage was taken away with the metal metal heads yeah. and the graphite shafts. Oh, okay. That took Greg's advantage away. You know, and the, the, the new golf ball. That took Greg's advantage because Greg was way ahead of all those people. Mm. Fabulous player. So what about his, you know, the, the great swashbuckling, you know, Greg Norman up close to be in the middle of that, you know, to be up close him. to that. And- I, I, I loved it. I, I really loved it. I, I really thought we were friends as well, Greg and I. Um, we, we, were, we got on great together. I worked hard for him. And I'll never forget, Greg, when he three-putted the last at Metropolitan to let Jack Newton win the Australian Open, actually apologised to me. I mean, how nice is that? He said, Paul, I'm sorry. I said, Greg, don't ever say that. Mm. I said, we're a team. We're in this together. We win together. We lose together. And he never forgot that, and uh, I never forgot it either. And he was... He was great. And are these the days when you, like, would you be involved in the putt reading as well? So no, like, you not look for at Greg. The, okay. Not for Greg. Didn't read putts for Greg. Um, Did you want to? Like, would you ever go? Not particularly. <laughs> to me, it's not, it's not a big part of the game for me. Because okay. I, I, when I carry for Tony Jacqueline later, I said, Tony, would you like me to read the putts? He said, Paul, thanks for the offer. But to me, if a pro golfer can't read putts, he shouldn't be a pro golfer. Okay. And I, I accept that. Because... You know, people hit... I baby my putts, you know. So, I mean, instead of driving putts and taking the borrow out of it, you know, it's a totally different read. Yeah. You know, so I've never been... I, I have read putts and I had a great success in one one tournament, one with the, the legendary Christy O'Connor Jr., the British Masters, where I read every putt on the last day. Yeah. We had, we had a rain out and we had 36 holes on the last day and he shot 66-66 at Woburn. And he had 11 putts on the back nine. And he was hitting shots through trees, off concrete and pieces of wood. His two iron that he made top, he, which he, he'd get to the Ryder Cup. Yeah. And he hit that two iron against couples that broke couples' hearts. So um, I have had my moments reading putts, but never a big part. My my forty, if you like, was choosing the correct club. Okay. So saying the right thing. I, I just like what you're saying then about Jacqueline and that, you know, like... Hitting off paths and off wood and through, you oh, know, through gaps uh, and that trees. Was Christy. Oh, Christy, sorry. Yeah, so, Christy Jr. Okay, so do you. So when a golfer says, I mean, that's another thing about Norman, right? So Norman would go, oh, yeah, I could see a hole through that tree. What's what's your role in um, in discussing that with them and, and well, trying def- to talk them down you from the ledge? You definitely have to weigh it up. I mean, I was, I was out with Seve when Billy Foster was carrying for him in Switzerland when Seve hit that shot through a hole the size of a football in the trees. Mm. And I'm saying, you know, I'm shaking my head to Billy, and, you know, this is crazy. And, and Billy, fair player, tried to talk him out of it. But you can't talk Seve out of things. Uh, yeah. You know, a fellow with, with his genius and... and uh, well, you, you caddied for Seve. Yep. Right, so how was that? Great. Uh, he asked me several times to go be his permanent caddy, but I, I never did because I knew it would end in acrimony, which mm. it always did. Mm. Did with Foster, did with all the others. And... Uh, I preferred the friendship. Seve was a man of the people, great man, most charismatic golfer ever. And he thought the world of me. He paid me the supreme compliments. He said, Paul, and this was in 1973, when he could tell I was unhappy with uh, McNulty, who I'd been with for seven years. And he said, you're not happy, are you? I said, no. He said, tell him. I said, I'm going to do, but not right now. At the end of the year, I'm going to quit. He said, right. He said, Paul, I think... You're one of the best caddies in the world out here. You come and caddy for me, I win another major. And this was in 93, 1993, you know. So Seve's career was tailing off. So for him to say that was a massive compliment to me. I didn't didn't go with him, um, as it turned out. But but you must have been tempted to... I was very tempted. I really was. Uh, But, you know, as I say, I really... I would never have wanted anything to tarnish the friendship. I've got a signed photograph from Seve. Oh, he always came out of his way to speak to me. He wanted me to sing at the Ryder Cup 
in yeah. Valderrama because I'd sang my way out on a cruise ship. Yeah. Yeah. done my talking. Yeah, well, we were uh, going to do that cruise as well. It's such a shame. Well, another that, cruise. Know, that yeah. was, so what a shame that yeah. was. Gosh, that God broke my heart. Goddamn that cancer. That broke my heart. Oh, yeah, it was terrible. Goddamn cancer, yeah. That really cost me dearly, that mm. did. That cost me. Uh, the cruise with you, which I was really looking forward to, having done the TV show yeah. with you and got them famous, and I thought you were excellent that day. And uh, then the Rhine cruise and golfing and caddying and speaking, probably singing as well, and... And then going on to do speaking jobs in England, so it was mm. it was brutal for me. But you've got to get on with things, don't you? Okay, I'm Fa- fighting back. Yeah, and it's good. Doing um, my after dinner speaking now. Yeah, which is good. So you can actually. I'm not. I'm. I, I'm this is not wrapping it up. But I just. I've got a website. www. Legend. C a double d i e. Legend. L e g e n d. Dot my site. M y s i t e. Dot com. Okay. That's my website, and everything is on there. All my, all my victories, all my you know high finishes, the people I've carried for. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm so lucky. I reckon I've caddied for who, possibly which, which the greatest. Who's Faldo? No, no. Sneed. Correct. Yeah. So Sam, what's so Sam Sneed? Like, Sam Sneed. So it's the kids of today? I mean, I don't know. I Sam don't remember Sneed. Sam Sneed. So. If people put me on the spot, and they won't, be, they won't believe this when they know that I've caddied for Tom Watson, mm. you know, one of the greatest players and greatest people. You know, I mean, multi Major winner, five mm. times open, mm. tied Peter Could Thompson's record. Should, nah. have, should have broken Varden's record. Should have won seven. Right. Should yeah. have won seven. And he hit four Which, clubs. He hit four clubs too many at, uh, at St. Andrews when Seve won in 84. Right. Alfie never carried for him again after that. When you say hit four clubs too four many. Four clubs too many. He should have hit six iron out of the left-hand rough. Seve had hit six iron onto the green. Yeah. Tom hit a deuce, two iron. Oh. It was lucky it didn't go out of bounds. Oh, oh okay, right. Hit so literally, literally four clubs too many. Oh, yeah. He's told me that, ad verbatim. He told me he'd hit four clubs too many. It was brutal mistake. You know, and he, he hit a club too many against Stuart Sink, who I carry for a great guy, at Turnbury in 98. Uh, 98, yeah. 98? Yeah. Hang on, is that... Um, 98. When he was 50... Yeah, was no, it 98? No, it was 2008. Later, 2008. 2008. Yeah, when he was 59, right? Yeah. Which would have made Phil's... Yeah, but he should never have hit an eight-iron. He would never have got the eight-iron out of my bag. Never. Right. But the thing is, he didn't have a caddy. He had a friend, what they call a kingmaker, caddying for him. A politician maker. Yeah. In America. Was a very close friend of his. But he wasn't a golf caddy. And he would never have got the eight-iron out of my bag. In fact, I'd have leaned more towards the wedge, not even the nine-iron. Because to me, howling downwind... On a fairways hard as rock, mm. to me, pitch it short, bounce it on. Two putts, and you're open champion. That ball pitched a yard short of the pin. Right. And went right over the back of the green. I heard a terrific um, podcast with Peter Bottomley talking about his open experience. Stephen Bottomley. Stephen Bottomley. Yeah, I know Steve. And, um, yeah. <laughs> and he, he finished fourth there. Yes. And they had the fight that he had with his caddy, and, his, and they literally had a stand up argument yeah. over a certain, and over, over a six iron or a seven iron, a six iron or a five iron. And who iron. was right? The caddy? The caddy was right. Great. Yeah. Right. Great. I love it. I love to hear stories like that. Yeah, yeah. It was terrific. Yeah. Um, but really you're, you're getting back to that when people say the greatest golf you've carried for and when I say it'd have to be Sam Snead and I, the look on the face 
what, you've got it for Tom Watson and Greg Norman? Yeah, but they don't know. You know, I mean, Sam Snead, the, one of the greatest swings, and not short. I mean, slamming Sam was a 300-yard man in those days. Yeah. But uh, a pure swing. The guy was, um, what, what do you call it? Double jointed, right? Uh, he, he, he was he was double jointed. He was like a contortionist, but he had the most fluid swing. And I carried for him at Manly Golf Club. I'll talk about it tonight. And when I was uh, shagging balls for him, looking back, his swing never altered from the wedges all the way through the bag, all the way through the bag. Absolutely brilliant. And we did a clinic at the lakes, and he was hooking balls out over the lake with a one iron, a hooking one iron bringing them right at me, and I'm ducking it. And he said, don't worry, Paul, they won't hurt. And these hooking one-eyes were coming down like a butterfly well, with sore feet. Right. And I'm just picking them up and putting them in the bag. So mm. you've mentioned the one-iron maybe 11 times. Mm. So have we, we've missed, we've lost, we've lost things, haven't we, in Absolutely. the game of golf? Absolutely. So technology's given us great things, but we've really Absolutely. lost some of the, the beauty. We I, don't hit many one-eyes now. Mm. You know, to, to, well, in, in my day... The average drive for years was 260 yards. That was the average drive. Okay, there were 300-yard men like Nicholas, Sneed, people like that, Martin Rosink, George Bear, the big hitters. But the average drive was 260. A good hole in those days was 400 yards. 400 yards was a good hole, especially into the draft. Mm. And, and, and a real good hole, <laughs> the draft. a real good hole, you know, you, you could hit a drive and a three-wood, a drive and a one eye. To hit those clubs now, the hole would have to be 700 yards long. Yeah. You know, th this is how the ball has taken over. And the equipment, you know, the trampoline face on the drivers and the what I call the illegal golf ball that goes 450 yards. And I've seen it happen. I've seen Bubba Watson hit it 450 and he hits with a slice, not a fade, a slice. You know, I mean, he, he, he hits it 450. What, so. what, what, um, what clubs do you play with now? Sorry? What clubs do you play with? Oh, anything I can get my hands on. But, like, do you, like, would you err towards a set of 1990? Oh, yeah, because I'm, I'm not a proficient <clears throat> golfer. I was a cricketer, you know. So, golfer, I, I wanted to be a, a great caddy, not so much a great golfer. Golf was a social game for me, so I'm still playing with my uh, top flights, uh, clubs that I got uh, from my friend on the tour in the UK. Right. And uh, my Titleist uh, as my second set. Um, that I got my DTRs, so uh, that's all <laughs> you know, old, old equipment. You yeah. know, I mean, I, I don't kid myself. Right. Uh, I'm not, I'm not a golfer. I just do it for socially, and I enjoy the game. You, you said know. You, you're talking about Sam Snead and his swing, and it was oh. like it was always the same. Sure. As a, is a part of the caddy's role too. Sure. Can you do you ever get involved in a golfer's swing? So no, not me. I know some caddies do. Yeah, but to me. If they were that good, they'd be out there playing, you know. All right, you can tell them it's laid off, it's shut at the top, things like that. You're taking it on the inside, you know, little things. So you would do, you would say those things. Yeah, little things if you to think what? it needs saying. But yeah. I, I, I didn't want to get involved. They've, they've got coaches and gurus that do all that, Andrew. Right. You know, so I've never wanted to be that. So I'll tell you a story about Samson. Either that clinic we did, we uh, we played a couple of holes for the people. And the 11th, the par five at the lakes with the massive lake on the right, Sam hit it in the fairway bunker off the tee. So I've walked forward and his ball's in the bunker and I've walked forward to get my layup yardage. So he said, Paul... And you say, sorry, just to, you're pacing it out. Yeah, yeah. Right. Pacing, I'm pacing forward to get a layup yardage for him to lay up. He said, Paul, what are you doing? I said, I'm getting a layup. He said, he called me back. I said, yeah. He said, how far? I said, well, Sam, it's 245 out of the bunker to carry the water over the lake. I said, the pin is another 22 yards on 267. He said, give me the three wood. I said, what? He said, give me the three wood, it's okay. And he put the <laughs> swing on this three wood. I've never seen anything like it in my life. It soared into the stratosphere, over the water, carried the water by about six feet and rolled up to about two feet from the flag. I said, Sam, you better walk across the water quickly <laughs> and mark that ball because this green's a bit slick. It might roll backwards. Wow. I said, so you walk across that water and mark your ball. All right. Yeah, and he's had a good laugh at that. Oh, yeah, it was great. Um, what about Faldo? 
So he looks from the outside like a very driven, very quiet, you know, um, Faldo. So Norman, I heard a thing with Norman and he said that Faldo, he was not a talker. No, he's not. Not interested no. in discussion. Not in anybody. Not being nice. No, not only himself. Just, yeah. Only himself. Tunnel vision. Mm. Diff- Greg was different class to Faldo. Different class. Uh, as you said, Dr- Faldo was driven but selfish to the point. Worst Ryder Cup captain ever. The worst. They'll never, ever make that mistake again. I mean, the players didn't want him. A lot of the players didn't want him. Mark James screwed the telegram up when he sent a telegram and they didn't, you know, they didn't want him. They knew exactly. And, and the, the two have made a big mistake. They'll never make that mistake again. I think he had uh, one vice captain who was one of the greatest iron players of all time, Jose Maria Olathabel. Yep. And uh, I think he had his son and his daughter in a buggy. He had a, a, dr- a, a set of drums, drum kit in the locker room and he had a, a, a black DJ playing music. And he thought that was the setup, right? But he, he was dreadful. Got all his pairings wrong, <laughs> all his advice wrong. Yeah, he was shocking. And consequently, Paul Azinger hated him. But most people in America hated Faldo then. Yeah, he seems to have got him on side now. Yeah, yeah. With all his commentators. Well, he's really he's really interesting as a commentator because he his is. insight is terrific he, and he's generous he, with his. He, he is. He's yeah. very good. And with him being the master strategist, which he is, he was always going to win Augusta. Because yeah. he's the complete strategist. Right. You know, he always did his greens book before they were invented. He did his own greens book. I did the yardages, but he did the greens books, his own greens books. But, um, yeah, he was, um, he, he, he was difficult. He was difficult. A lot of, I mean, in America, he couldn't get a sponsor to put the name on his bag. And he never spoke to anybody. He never said good shot. Never said well done. He upset a lot of the amateurs. So- uh, he was... And all the American team hated him, and Azinger <laughs> hated him. So Azinger had them fired up, and it, it was an easy win for yeah. Azinger. Did easy. you? Did he scare you as a caddy? No, no. Did anyone? No. I did stu- any player? I, I stood up to him. Right. Uh, which didn't stand me. Like a bully, didn't it? stand me in good stead, and yeah. probably cost me my job in the end. Mm. The year before, he won his first major, but uh, he was a difficult person, and job satisfaction. Meant a lot to me. Yeah. Was there yeah. A, was there a moment between the two of you where you had where you fronted him and said, "Listen, no, that's yeah." What's the a- week the week before the open? Yeah. Where I told him, I said, "Look, you you might be able to speak to the other people like you speak to them, but not to me." I said, "I'm a married man. I've got two kids of my own. I've got to go home and face my wife and kids, and I I couldn't go home having listened to your diatribe, and uh, I I won't have it." You know. And I told him the week before. And he blew the tournament. He was leading the tournament and he, he blew it and probably blamed me for it. And he, he fired me the week after we finished fifth at, um, at Turnbury when Greg shot that amazing round and won. But Faldo hit 17 greens on the Sunday. Yeah. Uh, and played with David Graham. You know, a lot of people didn't know that. But I said to him walking down the last, I said, don't worry, Nick. I said, 12 months time, you'll be the best golfer in the world. It still didn't matter. He sacked me. Only time I've ever been sacked. <laughs> Uh, for 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 right. caddy, how um how how generally are caddies treated, or you know were they in your day on the tour? So, um, what was the level of respect? Well, very how, badly. How, were very you, badly. Were you included in things? No, like, we were never allowed in clubhouses. Yeah, no. The, the pros. So what, what was the that pros like? The pros weren't allowed in the clubhouses. You're kidding. When I started caddying, no. Oh, okay. No, that that changed, and then we finally got in and. Then we had our own shower facilities and food. They get everything now, food. They get wonderful food provided, uh, changing rooms. And it's it's a different game now, mm. totally different game. Um, as I say, there's not really a, a lot of caddying goes on now. You know, it's, it's not so much caddying. It's about camaraderie now, about getting on with your player. See, I, wonder, I, I question that actually because... From the from the outside as okay. a as a sports as a yep. as a golf fan, and yep. I think it's someone like Steve Williams who would say, "Excellent caddy." Say, you know, he was he. I mean, I've heard other people say that he was the first one to really take it to the professional level. But I'm listening Aww. to I'm listening to you thinking that's a well, bit harsh. Yeah, I think that's that's, that's, that's a bit harsh. Yeah. I think there were other caddies professional before he even started caddying. Mm. Um, he was very very good and and. His partnership with Tiger. But i got to say this. You could have carried for Tiger. 
anybody could have caddied for Tiger at that time. Right. The he's hardest thing about caddying is caddying for a player when he's playing badly. Yeah. When a player is playing good and someone like Tiger, who has got the best distance control ever, you look at Tiger's shots, they were all pin high. Yeah. And the, now you're talking about the best green reader ever in the game. I've never seen anyone read greens like Tiger and put like Tiger. Closest to me was Jordan Spieth in his hot period a yeah. couple of years back. But, you know, t- Tiger, distance control, absolutely crucial. Reading the greens and, and holding everything. I mean, I'm, 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 Steve's a great caddy, no doubt about it. But anybody could have caddied for Tiger. And the reason is the yardage books now... They're, things are beauty now. Mm. Anybody could carry these days. Well, the, everything is done for them. Yeah, I think that's what I was sort of getting at just just now. Is that with the you, you see like they they zoom in on or they microphone some of the golfers sometimes. Yeah. And the, we get the conversations with the caddies, and they're this long conversations about you know the wins mm. and one, two, yeah. three, and make sure you get it. Yeah. So it it feels like the caddies really got a role, An but input, then yeah. but then the more I think about what yeah. you're saying, it is actually just buddying up with a golfer and saying just you're the best ever. Yeah. Come but, on, you know, bro. You're absolutely right. There there, there is a lot of uh, dialogue now, but you know I, I remember, I mean Faldo pays big criteria to Fanny Sunerson. And, and, you know, I remember Augusta on the 13th, the par five, and Faldo appointed three clubs and she agreed with every one. Well, I've never heard a caddy do that. She agreed with every club. Yep, yep, yep. You know, okay. she said, yeah, that's good. That's good. <laughs> and then he changed my mind said, no, it's not a two-eye, right. not off this line. Uh, it's a five-wood. Oh, yeah, I like that. That's good. You know, well, that, that to me is not caddy. Yep. Not having a go at Fanny, great girl, did a great job, very conscientious, but... To me, not one of the great golf caddies. The greatest golf caddy I was ever at, we never played the game. And that's another misnomer. You do not have to be a great golfer to be a great caddy. Definitely not important. A great manager of people. Frank Gilmore, yeah. the caddy for Bob Charles, was the greatest caddy I was ever out with. Why? Ever. He, he was right every time. He was always right. And Bob listened to him. And he'd, he'd overrule Bob, and he was right. I remember Bob winning the John Player Classic and... Tears streaming down his face and saying, I had a big advantage today. I had the best caddy in the world. Oh, beautiful. And Christy said that about me at, at Woburn, you know, when, when, when we won the British Masters. Yeah. And, you know, things like that mean a lot. I don't see it mentioned a lot these days by the uh, players. No, you don't, do you? Paying the tributes to the caddies, no. Um, look, just to finish, what yeah. is, are you going to look back and have a greatest moment? Like, I, I, I know you talked about the Ryder Cup, but is there a greatest single moment apart from your hole in one <laughs> yeah you know the the nemesis in my adopted country i love australia mm. i love australian people i love australian golf i finished second with bill brass to jack nicholas at the australian i finished second with ben crenshaw to jack nicholas at the australian i finished third with david graham to peter fowler at kingston heath uh this was a nemesis to me i thought i'm never gonna i'd finish second with sandy lyle to Greg Norman. I finished second with Greg Norman to Jack Newton. I thought I was never going to win it until my hero came along, my knight in shining armour called Tom Watson and blistered Royal Melbourne. Right. To me, the greatest golf course in the world. Yeah. The greatest golf course in the world. And New South Wales is probably a close second. Both Mackenzie courses. Yeah. You know, I'm a massive fan of Colt Mackenzie. But those, those courses in Melbourne to die for. So you've won the Australian Open. Yep. Second so, in the... In the the uh, the open open, twice, two seconds, twice, two seconds, McNulty and Oosterhuis. So, yeah, to come second mm. in the open. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think I know the answer from the tone of the sound of your voice. It, it, it devastating. Yeah, for you. As yeah, well. because I wanted it so much. I wanted to win my own open, like I wanted to win the Australian Open, my adopted country. But I really wanted to win the uh, the Open Championship my open mm. and two seconds okay not quite there but you know beaten by good players and and you know by quite decent margin faldo beats us at st andrews and player at lytham and so obviously you've got to reconcile the second place as much yep. as the golfer's got to reconcile the second yep. place but they only ever talk about the golfer and the 
I mean, I, I don't know. I've been listening to a lot to that open um, podcast, and you have that beautiful commentary from Peter Alice and oh, oh. I for Peter. I you did. I counted for Peter. Oh, now how is oh. he? He must have been fantastic. Oh, fantastic. We're going to be here for hours, the aren't we? The of all commentators. <laughs> yeah. Oh, love the man. Yeah. Love the man. Love the man. Taught me so much. He wanted me to go speaking about golf. He said, Paul, you've got to do after dinner speaking. He told me years ago. He wanted me to go on TV and when I was still caddying, he said, come on, you know, and I, I should have taken him up on it, but yeah. he, he was great. I used to go to his uh, his company days and his clinics and he was he was fabulous value. I uh, love the man. Yeah. And so this is why I do my uh, after dinner speaking now and I'm working very, very hard at it. And... Uh, doing Manly Golf Club tonight. I did New South Wales uh, two weeks ago, and I'm hoping that um, it um, it takes off uh, a little bit more now that we're getting out of the COVID, horrible COVID. Uh, well, I, I uh, certainly hope it does for you too, Paul. Thank you, Andrew. It's Paul Stevens. He is the singing caddy. If you, um, I, we gave you the website earlier, but the, probably the best thing to do is Google Paul Stevens. Put in Paul Stevens, the singing caddy. You'll get a bunch of things there. You'll definitely find his website and um, and really consider having him at your golf club to, to come and chat and tell you his stories because we've literally scraped the top of it. I'm embarrassed to say I haven't even got to uh, – well, we'll just we'll have to talk again. It's that yeah, simple, Paul. why not? So I've really enjoyed it. Thanks Thank very you, much. Thank very you for generous. inviting me, Andrew, and uh, good luck to you. I, I've thoroughly mm-hmm. enjoyed meeting you and enjoyed your company. Loved the TV show we did. And uh, I, I can, all I can do is wish you all the very best. Good on you, Paul. And the same for you. Thank Paul you. Stevens. Thanks, Andrew. The singing caddy, an absolute gem. Thank you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.